Is that your Bruno Mars impression? We finished the book. Da, da. Ooh. Ooh. Big. Welcome. I should have said goo there. It would have made, made a lot more sense, oh, I think. Oh, goo. Goo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody listening. It's Game of Bones. Uh, as you know and love, hopefully, and if you don't love, uh, ditch who you're with and get with us because we, could, we have a lot of love between us, I think. Yes. Look at your partner. Then look at us. Then look at your partner. <laughs> Old then back spy. at us. We are not your partner. Sadly, we can be. your partner isn't us, but he can be, or she. <laughs> <laughs> not true. I uh, just wanted to say to Micah, hi. Hello, Zach. Good evening you? to you. I am uh, under a blanket of snow here in the Northeast. I'm going to say hello to Eric. Hello, Zach. I'm just saying hi to everyone. It's the three of us. We survived that huge, huge uh, upset at the Super Bowl there uh, that happened on Sunday a couple of mm-hmm. days ago. Sort of survived it. I think it's safe to say that we uh, we've recovered, seeing as how we're not all Broncos. Yeah, we we're still alive, and uh, our bodies have, I think, recovered from the calorie onset that happened on Sunday. So much dip. Let me I tell just, you, just everything. You know, I just I love America. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love the the time of the world that we live in because we're reading a series, and we just finished a book, A Clash of Kings, and and you all know you're listening. The world mm-hmm. we live in, where the food is is it's like the Hunger Games kind of like keep eating and just drink this shit and you'll throw it up. It's basically the same thing, except we don't throw it up; we just keep getting fatter. Yes, <laughs> I just I don't know how to respond. We to are that. so privileged. We're like we're like um. Who's the big fat? Well, well, you know anybody of luxury like uh, Zaro's own Daxus, you know Duck Sauce, King Robert, uh, the show, show Zaro though. You know what I'm saying? Robert Baratheon. Yeah, well, the show's Zaro. Oh, you're right. I can't make that comparison. Robert, we're Robert Baratheon guys. Robert's a um, good comparison. Really, I think. A, a whore whenever we want one. A wife in case we wanted one. Who really asks for those? Um, Who fucks and, her brother on the side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's really one of those things. Uh, we're, uh-huh. we're very fortunate to have all been able to catch the game and we're fortunate to be able to read this book in the comfort of our own areas as opposed to out in the woods surviving having to kill squirrels and stuff and all the things that these characters have had to do know that has oh i thought you were <laughs> going to compare go. to a real life person no these characters over the past 800 pages have been eating squirrels shot, stabbed shadow babied um, that's a good verb i like that they've they've yielded and welded and mm-hmm. all sorts of random crap over the course of the last 800 pages. And really, I just have to say, you know, I feel really grateful that we didn't have to do near as much stuff. We just had to imagine what they were going through. And talk about it. That's what everything is. What is reality, people? What is it? What is this right now? No one (laughs) knows what this is. Yeah, literally, what is love? And that's probably the whole point of this book, right? Trying to find out who loves who. It's all about love. Try to make a connection, but didn't happen. You know, I, there is one thing though I will say um, for George R. R. Martin uh, is that I don't think he would ever regret uh, killing Ned Stark. No, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's what it took to propel the story into this its state now, and that was the whole. You know, that was the big part of starting this book was learning the aftermath of of that event. You see what I did there, tying it to. Uh, some other more recent uh, information about other book series, but uh, oh god. Anyway, <laughs> I I really um, on this reread enjoyed the book a lot more because I I was a big fan of a Game of Thrones and I was a big fan of a Storm of Swords and I felt like the the book in between was just it it, it lacked. But upon rereading it, I really feel like 
there's a lot that goes on in this book, and, and I probably forgot some of it, because as you go from book to book, you don't quite remember everything, but, you know, just going through it, um, you know, with two friends and all the listeners out there, so, uh, that's, what, five friends? Um, something like that. Yeah. No. <laughs> that was a joke. Come on. Haha. <laughs> that was late, uh, but. I thought uh, it was a great joke. Thank you. Eric didn't, apparently. Um, no, but that's okay. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, uh, it's different, you know, when you, when you go through and you have, you know, two people who are reading it for the first time and you have listeners out there who are a mixed bag in terms of some have read it before, some are reading it for the first time, you know, because they've only seen the TV show. It's cool to get all that interaction and, and the feedback and they pick up on things that, you know, I might not have noticed. And I think it's just, uh, it's a uh, unique experience. Yeah. I mean, you see all these environments that only some of them, only a fraction of, have ever been realized on screen. And really, it just makes you appreciate the depth that words can take you to. Uh, you know, it's it's these places that are in this book. And this is only in, you know, the second book. This has nothing to do with the uh, five books that there will eventually be or the three books that yet remain. It's just there's so much open that's yet to happen that we know uh, – is you know has been written down um or is about to be written down and that's really the exciting part kind of is knowing that there is so much more yet to come um so we were able to like appreciate the book for what it is but at the same time we can go on then after this if that makes sense it's just kind of it no it does us, yeah i think knowing there's more allows us to appreciate this one more i i don't know i just i didn't feel like rushed at any point, I felt like it was the right pace to read the, you know, the pace that we took. Um, but it's kind of invigorating to know that these these cliffhangers that all of it's on will will be answered and will be resolved, and that we don't necessarily have to wait years and years and years for. Well, some of them you yeah, still yeah. might, uh, yeah. to, if yeah. I'm being completely honest. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think the best place uh, to start as we kind of go through and, and look at some of the uh, major plot points and events that took place throughout the course of a clash of kings is uh, there's this tweet and i don't know who it's from and i'm going to be paraphrasing it but i remember seeing it this is probably a couple weeks back or maybe it was even a comment on winnerscoming.net and it it was almost um whomever this person was was trying to point something out and it was along the lines of you know first chapter last chapter think about it and the more and more i did this the more and more i came to the realization and I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners and a lot of readers have picked up on this already, but what I think that they were trying to get at is there's a very strong parallel between what happens in the first and last chapters of not just A Clash of Kings, but other books in this series. And it made me think and think and think. I'm, I'm trying to go. I'm like, wait, okay, I got it, right? And it all boils down to Maester Cresson and Maester Lewin. A maester dies in the first chapter. A maester dies in the final chapter. Oh, <laughs> so that's my um, intellectual thought for the show. It was provided <laughs> by some person who I can't remember uh, their name. They were, um, you know, trying to push me along in that direction. I finally, and even though it's not exactly you know, sort of linear or parallel um, with um, what happens in a Game of Thrones, but if you think about it, really, what happens there is. You have a major um, beheading at the end of the book, and then the first chapter of A Game of Thrones, you obviously have a beheading by Ned 
Or actually, it's the second chapter, isn't it? Well, they, the hand of the king dies in in both, right? We're assuming that while those guys are north of the wall in the prologue of book one, um, John Aaron is off in a bed dying. Yeah, so I, I couldn't exactly tie those loose ends together. Yeah. Um, but because, as we've mentioned many times, the final chapter of A Game of Thrones is, of course, Danny. With um, her dragons. But if you want to tie in the White Walkers and the dragons kind of together as one magical community, then I guess you do have parallels there. I'm sure there's things that we're missing um, because it's been a while since we've read the book. But, you know, if if listeners out there have those parallels, definitely be sure to send them in. But I thought that was really cool. And and I'm going to have to go back and take a look at Storm of Swords and some of the other books and see exactly if those parallels do exist. So I just thought it's neat. Just to be sure, let's do a Game of Thrones again, guys. What do you say? <laughs> just to be no, sure. We, we could just go back and listen to all of our old episodes. <laughs> Looking back over just book two, you realize how much more magical it really was. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything everything from the comet at the, at the very, very beginning with the poison and Melisandre's kind of red god that she was worshipping, Stannis's potential... Uh, Anointing, anoint, 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 you know, his thing that turned him into the Lord of Lightbringer, uh, or whatever, um, you know, Shadow Babies, uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, warging, you know, Bran can warg, and now Jon Snow can warg. Danny still has her dragons and they're growing. Um, yeah, the house so, of the undying, so don't forget that. So much magic, and, um, you know, it was hinted at in, in, in the first book, of course, there, there was a little bit of magic, and it was said that it was coming back into the world but we kind of got the next level of that and uh he really didn't shy away from the magic which is what i really like is i was surprised with how many of these chapters characters you wouldn't expect are using magic or having magic done around them um catelyn is is privy to a number of creepy things um and it's just a really really kind of cool how it's political, yes, and it's about these characters that live in this medieval age, yes, but it's just the right ounce of that fantastical that allows you to, to, to kind of set aside what you think you know about how things are going to go because something really, really awesome could shake it up. I love the way it was done because you know going into the story, dragons aside, um, there's not much of a, of a giveaway that, that bigger – and crazier things are happening because, you know, the whole ma- idea of magic, if we could summon to one word, um, which is a pretty dumb word if you think about it, because it's, it could be anything. It could be to do with the cosmos. It could be to do with an actual god. I mean, who knows? Like, it, it's, mm-hmm. it could be nature. We really don't know, but we'll call it magic or science because whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. long story short, it's it's sort of like shaken off as a joke. We we hear stories in Old Nan, and it's a laugh, essentially, in the first book. And in the second one, I remember being skeptical going into almost every situation in every chapter because I just assumed there was a way to explain it. Even the fire climber, you know, with Danny and Karth and it's just little things. It should have been a giveaway that, that Danny's stuff at the end of a game of Thrones happened that way. But still you, and it, even the TV show, the warging and stuff, I feel like it's kind of a surprise because it didn't really edge into it as smoothly as uh, the books have. But in a clash of Kings, the entire book is almost your transition into what's next, like the pivot into the rest of the story. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's just a slow winding process through very real events in this weird feudal society where people are getting sliced with swords and we're getting very raw descriptions of how they die and how they shit and how they eat 
and how they sleep together. You know, this is very raw, not very majestical. But at the end of the day, someone is birthing a shadow person that's going and assassinating someone. You know, at the end of the day, X and Y is happening. So I just really think it was a really creative way to edge in this element that is present in most stories that are like this, except it didn't just start out with, you know, I, m- I remember reading some story when I was a kid and I was younger. The king was like going outside and, and playing in the, the courtyard or something. And it was explaining how magic works in their, um, in their kingdom and in the world. And he was just like tugging at the strings or whatever in the air. And it's like, Oh cool. There's magic. So this whole story is going to be nuts. Who even knows? But in, in this series, you don't really see it that way. And I think that's why it's, friendly to a lot of people you know it's very real mm-hmm. it's so spread out too and, and we don't know what's going on but it's just too complex like jack and hagar can change his face oh he's an assassin who can change his face that's really weird um when is that going to come into play again we don't know but we have a feeling that it will um that this is something that can happen in this world and dragons are something that can happen in this world and shadow babies or something that can happen in this world. This is unbelievable. There's there seems to be no limits. He's still in like the introductory phase of introducing mm-hmm. uh the, the the various aspects of magic. We're far from understanding any particular one of them. Uh and, and furthermore, at the end of what after book three, we continue to get a whole new host of characters too, of people to deal with. And so, you know, from what I understand. So it's just unbelievable that he's on this info dump mode. And he still manages to turn these these chapters that are so poetic and ironic, like Tyrion's chapters, and that they mean so much to to us, and and that these characters are so real and and uh, dramatically portrayed in a way that engrosses us into reading more about them. It's just all really a triumph of a book, and it's not too hard to get into. It's not too hard to read. I agree with you, and and I think that you have this rebirth of magic, and it's interesting in the sense that. It seems to lack very much in King's Landing and some areas that are, that would be considered, you know, maybe like the Midwest, even though it's not really the Midwest, like central and southern parts of Westeros. But then as you go east, I feel like magic has always been there and and it still exists there. And, you know, there's sort of this really intriguing element about the east where Danny is. And, but now you're seeing the north and really, beyond the wall starting to come alive with this magic again as well and it, it, there's always been this sense that there's that there's something in the north there's something special about it and you have these non-believers in king's landing right the lannisters are not willing to really accept the fact that white walkers may have returned or dragons are out in the east and you know, we, we've mentioned this on the show before it's it's almost like because they don't want to lend any credence to this it's going to come back and really bite them in the ass. It's it's like one of those movies where you you always have somebody who's telling the 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 president or some really high powered leader um, the danger that's associated with whatever's happening, and they just don't want to believe it, don't want to believe it, don't want to believe it, and then finally it happens, and then they just you know you want to smack them upside the head you know what i'm saying yeah no i feel like, like there's that. a little bit of that with the lannisters until the point where either dragons descend upon king's landing or the white walkers have marched so far south because they are able to and it's cold enough that you know only when it's right at their door are they finally going to awaken to the fact that hey everybody who's fighting here they might need to work together against something that's far more powerful than themselves you know what it reminds me of uh, Cornelius Fudge. Lord of the Rings. Not, no. not listening yeah. about yeah. Boldy thing. You know what I'm saying? He's back. Exactly like that. 
yeah. it doesn't seem real in a way. And it's the same thing with, uh, you're right, Cornelius Fudge in mm-hmm. the Potter series with Voldemort. He doesn't want to believe he's back. And I feel like that's the case here. And uh, it's going to be interesting to really see how this all plays itself out over the course of the next several books and who will become a believer, who will find out the truth too late. Um, it's always kind of fun to watch that stuff play itself out. Do you think that um, we were talking very early on in reading the book that Renly was pretty much our favorite heir or favorite successor to Robert and that ended, uh, that escalated quickly and ended. Um, I mean, who is really our favorite heir or contender for the throne now ending this book? I mean, for me, it's Rob hands down. (laughs) Oh yeah, really? Yeah, I mean, I think that he carries on Ned's legacy as well as he can for being so young. And uh, the North have a pretty noble cause and a noble purpose. And I think that they're pretty flexible uh, considering that if worse comes to worst or if shit comes to shit, I think that they'll make a deal with anyone other than the Lannisters. It is really odd, Rob, not being a point of view character to th- that you side with Rob, you know, after having read the book. Because you know what he's up to. Like, and that's cool. And we do, too. But with that, like, I kind of need that helping hand where it's like, yeah, he's charismatic. He has all the good scenes. You know, he just talks about avenging his father. But to me, he's like so in the background that I'm just like, oh, yeah, I get. I forgot he was a contender there for a minute. I'd say what's weirder than that, though, is that none of these kings are point of view characters. Yeah. Wow. So there. <laughs> you blew my mind. None of them. Not Stannis, not Joffrey, not Rob, not Balin. And and George has said, I think in interviews, that he would have liked to have written from Rob's perspective at one point or another. It's just uh, – I think it's it's unique because he – what's, what's so great about that is he's such a major character. All of them are really, but yet we've not seen from any one of their perspectives. We've always seen from those who are closest to them or just happen to be around them what the perspective is on – those particular characters. That's a fascinating trick. Yeah. It's got to be a pain in the ass to write, too. <laughs> or is know. it much easier? Because all that or, or much easier, yeah. And you can just explore what Catelyn's seeing as she rides. And you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's his men. Oh, there he is. I wonder what he's talking about. Let's listen in for a brief conversation. <laughs> all right, that's a chip of the iceberg. But luckily, the iceberg will not have to be written because Catelyn's going upstairs to look at Ned's bones. <laughs> One question, though, that um, I had for the two of you is we got introduced to a number of new characters in this book, or we, we came more face-to-face uh, with some of them and, and only heard of them in passing in the first book. But really, as it relates to the, the television show, having been introduced to these characters and spent more time with them than really you have in the TV show, you know, thinking back even to the, the first um, couple of uh, – Davos chapters and the prologue, uh, you had Shireen and Selyse Baratheon, um, and as well as a, several other characters, uh, Patchface at um, Dragonstone. You had yeah. Jojen and Mira Reed be introduced in this book. Right. And uh, just curious, do you think it was good, not good, you know, compared to what you saw on TV and, and already have, having been a se- season ahead of of where this book is. Look, I like that uh, Jojen and Mira were involved and that Bran's storyline 
happens quicker. That that kind of I don't know, it fits it fits for me, but in terms of new characters, I thought you were going to ask like who our favorite new character is, but I just wanted to say like overall I think I'm most interested in continuing to see Melisandre and Stannis and Davos and that crowd because kind of sticking with the Baratheon line here and I think it's easy to say Danny's going to come and kill them all. It's really easy to like root for her because I think she really has the capability or she has enough people around her where it seems likely, at least with dragons, that she's going to have this huge tactical advantage over everybody else. But with Stannis, he's he's really involved in this religion that we know next to nothing about. And considering how much religion there was in this book and magic and stuff like that, we don't know yet, you know, still all about all the resurrections and things that the Lord of Light does. So I'm just, and, and really the shadow, uh, maybe or say it (laughs) no uh the shadow creature there's no explanation for that there's no real resolution it happens and it's probably the biggest wtf moment um in terms of okay actually what just actually happened so i think that that was compelling enough to be like something that i enjoyed seeing on the tv but even in the book it was like bigger I think um, yeah, it was bigger. You know, one thing that stood out to me though, and and I know Brian Cogman mentioned this um, when he was on the show, is that you know they didn't really want to introduce Elise because she's really another you know lesser version of Melisandre, and to to kind of have an additional character who you know is championing this religion. But we see in this book that you know she actually plays a very big role in her husband getting involved in this in the first place, and I think for somebody who you know, is such a stoic character and is just really more concerned about his duty than he is about his family, um, that for him to really take to something that his wife um, supports first and foremost is an interesting <laughs> attribute for somebody hey, like Stannis. Husbands, you know, if the wife says it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I found that to be um, pretty uh, pretty interesting. And, you know, we've talked through a lot of the uh, the changes from the show and, and clearly Arya's time at Harrenhal is a major one. The fact that Tywin Lannister is never there um, during, well, he is very briefly, but there's not the same relationship uh, clearly that Arya has in the series. And I think led to a lot of great moments uh, between those two actors. Yeah. If we're talking about moments I'm happy about on the show, then that's one of them. Everybody knows I like that actor. I like Tywin in the show and I'm grateful for that change just because it, it just made it more interesting, I think, in the show than it is in the book. It certainly uh, put a little edge on what happened at King's Landing because we have a person that Tywin is and we're speaking with him and we know that he's geographically separated from what's happening down there. So in the books, it was kind of like Tywin marched. Um, this is happening. There really wasn't any hint that he was going to make it there, but I feel like there was more of a chance, you know, and the same thing happened in the show, but you know, there's a lot less text and a lot less sub story to pick up on. So it was crucial for the reader's development on kind of getting a little suspicious of the Boltons. And I think that George's Bolton discovery, George's what he, what George meant to do with the Boltons was a much larger part in the book than they made it in the show. You know, they just kind of had Bruce Bolton kind of being a dick and they they had Ramsey also doing the same and uh what happened at the red wedding and what people find out with Ramsey uh was paced differently, but in the book they really set it up like they want it to be bold. Well, I think it's a lot easier to drop hints in 
you know, several hundred pages of text than it is maybe in a 60 minute um, that could be fair. TV show. Uh, but not always true. Uh, and yeah, I think we've spent a lot of time, obviously, in the last several chapters talking about Bran and talking about John and, and maybe not as much Arya, but definitely those two. And, and Eric is, you know, just dumbfounded on this revelation of John being able to warg. Uh, maybe not uh, as well at this point as Bran, but certainly his ability to do so. And we've even seen glimpses of Arya being able to at least tap into the mind of her dire wolf. So uh, the more that we progress in the series, the more that we're realizing that there is a very close relationship here and interested to see what it gets used for moving forward. The Stark children are just slowly becoming animals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something... Something like that. It's a very separated story, though. You know, we we learned so much about what's happening with the forces in the South and how they're dealing with their own troubles and how they're dealing with the post-Ned Stark world. And and that's rough. You know, we've got important shit to figure out, like who's marrying who, who's going where, that kind of stuff. You know, very, very important stuff. And then on the other hand, you've got the Wall and you've got all of the Men of the Night's Watch. You've got Corn Half End, you've got Jon Snow, you've got Ghost, you've got Sam, and there's a lot of stuff happening. You know, we've got Craster's Keep. There's so much that is so important, but not really that important to all these people that really consider themselves great. You know what I mean? All of these people who are very confident in their own abilities and, and knowledges, we get to be the overlords that see um, what really is happening. And I just think it's so interesting that. Michael, what you said earlier with the East having so much of a magical aspect, which we got we got to see so much of with Danny starting out, you know, post dragon situation with her very, very much smaller group of people following the right. comet, finding the mysterious city, Vias Toloro, if you Look put the that. on the R. And uh there's just there's just so much happening, but that's in a place that is cut off from this, I guess they could consider it civilized area, being Westeros. And then you've got north of the wall, which is very uncivilized and untouched by these civilized people who have kind of destroyed everything in their wake, I'm assuming, over the, the past centuries. And so you've got untouched in the north, relatively. I mean, this is from the knowledge of someone who's been through two books. And then you've got the east that's still very wild in a sense, very connected spiritually to things. It reminds me of, you know, the Gerudos and Zelda. That's the only <laughs> one in the episode. And and even um, characters who didn't necessarily go anywhere. You know, like Littlefinger, heck, he he, he had a field trip. Um, but Sansa stayed in King's Landing the whole time and tried to get out of King's Landing. But at the end of the book, she's exactly where she was in the last book, except character-wise, she's evolved, you know, a little bit. But she didn't really go anywhere, but she still had captivating chapters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she was the other side of King's Landing that we didn't get to see. And we got to see Tyrion's mechanic, and we got to see Sansa's mechanic. And Cersei, you know, and again, that was embellished a little bit better in the in the TV show, I thought, a little bit. But during the Battle of Blackwater, which, again, in the book, six six whole chapters, mm. or seven, I think it was. Yeah, we forget that that, that happened. It never I mean, happened. It was huge, a huge, major part huge of this battle. book. Yeah. yeah, major part of the series. It's it's a massive turning point, much like Renly's death was a massive turning point. And, you know, as, as I'm kind of looking over some of the uh, – summary here for this uh for this book i mean i i completely forgot you know this is the book where you know we lose yorin and uh yeah, it is. Green hands and yeah dude everything that went on Mommy with Arya. Yielded. doesn't it feel boy. like a different time 
I just yeah. think you, you mentioned Maester Crescent at the beginning of the episode, and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> what? He lives yeah. on in our memory. That's so long ago. But I mean, that's it just that's how long the book is. That's how much stuff is in it. This is just number two, guys. Number two. Yeah. I mean, I really look at character development and, you know, Tyrion, um, Zach, you just mentioned him. And I just think about how much he really grew into the role as hand of the king and he did everything in his power uh to protect king's landing and then Arya, how she's grown and she's become ruthless i mean from fighting alongside yorin to you know what she was able to orchestrate at harrenhal in order to escape and not being able to not only give jack and Hygar would be afraid to give him those three names, but to then kill somebody en route to her escape from there. Uh, you know, the fact that, I, you know, there's just so many characters that develop. Theon um, becomes a grade-A douchebag throughout the course of this well, book. He, see, he goes back and sees his father. That was huge. Um, yeah. He yeah. Sees and all his the, sister, after he felt her up. <laughs> you know, I, I think that uh, the fact he got to see all these people he grew up with, his uncle or whatever, um, and people that you know, he actually chose his heritage over his, uh, you know, new family and uh, betrayed the Starks. And that, that was huge. That was, no, really less, was. Uh, no less an important point of the plot because now the North is so screwed up with everybody in different places and, and no Starks at home. Nobody's home. So it really just was, runs the gamut of all the different types of situations. And I hope that every book is even more, busy with with interesting things happening and i i just wonder you know can george keep up the excitement for yet another book and of course everybody says book three is like the coolest so yeah i think he probably can like just no i mean it it has its place and i think just just anyway (laughs) um the uh you know we talked a little bit about new characters earlier as well and uh you know, two of the ones that kind of skipped my mind and, and really an introduction to a place that we hadn't been previously, only heard about it and only see it in season three is River Run and, you know, meeting the Tullys, meeting Ed Buren, meeting Blackfish um, and meeting uh, Sir Hoster Tully, even though he's um, on his deathbed. I mean, there's there's a whole new family um, really that's introduced, even though Catelyn is is a part of it. And yeah, as we move forward into a storm of swords, it's going to be you know a lot of fun to see how all those relationships play themselves out. And we know that we've left uh, Catelyn um, with a sword in her hand, um, about to attack Jamie Lannister. Who yeah, knows? right. Uh, he's gonna cut the... off his hand or something. Yeah, he's in a. He's in a... <laughs> I actually saw it. It was on display at the, the exhibition. There you go. Uh, but was it? gorgeous i mean a lot of characters are left in limbo i feel like i mean Tyrion um is in a bit of a predicament himself and jamie we're not sure his fate theon we're not sure his fate and um i'm sure there's a few others here that i'm forgetting um but you know we're we're heading in now to this third book with so many questions to be answered and and those are just ones that have come about in this book. I mean, there are probably many from the first book that still haven't been answered. Well, I'm just thinking about Danny and how you were just saying all these people were left in limbo. And I was going to give her my own of the entire book. Ooh. I was going to say what she did in The House of the Undying was complex and substantial bravery. And, and that's the truth because I'm thinking about <laughs> myself being in that situation. And I, I'm confident that I would have just 
walked in there and seen what happened as well. But still, she did it, and that's cray, you know? And it could go to Jordan. It could go to, to all of them, really. They, they they kicked a lot of ass in Karth against a lot of odds. And their situation is a lot different than everybody else because it's good. They've got Strong Bellus. They've got Arson Whitebeard. Uh, who knows? We've got ships. We'll make shit happen. We'll see, let's see what we can do together. But uh, I'm going to have to give my own of the book to Arya Stark for her incredible, incredible just masterminding of the entire fortress of Harrenhal. You know, she got shit done and she's a small kid, very small kid. And she made, she made it all happen. She was the weasel in the weasel soup. You know, she was the person that got them out of this fortified place. And and that's only part of it. She did a lot of things there that kept her alive and that kept her friends alive. And that will eventually, lead to their freedom and, and to who knows what else. But uh, yeah, she did it not to be brief, but that's it. <laughs> Man, I cannot believe we're here. Own of the book. This is like, so much more, it's so much more massive though than own of the season. Cause it's like 10 episodes versus 80 chapters. I don't want to get it like wrong. And I, I, I certainly wasn't, did like, I do. Okay. Track, I was like, nervous as hell. I have to go through like, <laughs> that was all great. These, maybe go through all the episodes. Eric, there's the no, chapters. there's no wrong. Own. There's no oh, there's unless no wrong on you. Unless it's wrong, then they'll tell you on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, right. You no, just can't no. give it to any of the point of view characters. Oh God! Oh that limits no! It down. Maester Crescent. Hmm. <laughs> no, no, you can. I mean, this is this is overall. You're I think, turning it, my point of view rule against me. And I think finally, any character it to Rob. Sense. I'm saying he's not point of view. No, you know what? I'm not. I'm going to give none of the kings are. Remember that. I'm going to yeah, give my own to a non-point of view character. You ready? Uh, we're Let's ready. Yeah. Ghost. Okay, Four. I see where you're going with this. You see where I'm going? You want to fill yeah. in the blanks here? You want to fill in the blanks? I could. It does have something to do with something sharp and something shiny. It does. You it finish does. it. It does. Okay, Ghost uh, uncovers the weaponry uh, that will one day be, uh, be used on a White Walker, as well as a number. He keeps Jon Snow alive, keeps all the Rangers alive as long as he can. And in terms of like companionship, and additionally, you know, getting John to the point where he needs to be warging wise, um, I really feel that Ghost is an important part of John's chapter. And of course, he goes along with them on all their hunts and all their, you know, scavenges and all that stuff. I mean, talk about a Stark though who has the direwolf by their side. You know, there's Bran, but he's kind of cooped up all book. But then there's John, and he's traversing the terrain and making shit happen. And 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 really, it's all because of uh, Ghost that that he's able to. I think um, excel at, at at everything he does. So own to the pup, own to the albino dog. That's a good own. Ghost is a good. I like own. that. Have good yeah, good luck good. following those two up, Micah. See what you got. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Arya and Ghost are the MVPs. I'm gonna have to go with uh, Tyrion, and I guess I have to give some reasoning for that. Uh, I oh, just, just going to say Tyrion. All right, everybody, thank you for your yeah, emails. Thank you. Thank you. Moving it's on. because of Blackwater. <laughs> Show's over. Uh, I think it's more than just for Blackwater. Uh, I think that just his ability to come in at the beginning of the book and really just set the tone in King's Landing. I mean, you, you go back to everything that he was able to do. Uh, you know, he, he cleaned up and he sent people he didn't like uh, either over the sides of boats or up to the wall. And... Um, you you look at just how he was a great tactician. Um, you he orchestrated Blackwater, um, defeated Stannis, and you know with obviously some help from a late arriving cavalry led by his father and uh, you know, the Tyrells. But 
I think that he was able to do enough to hold them and to allow his father to come in and, and finish them off. And I just look at things like sending Marcella off to Dorne, protecting Tommen, even protecting Joffrey um, when it came down to it and being the only one man enough to storm out there and actually take on Stannis's men. You know, mm-hmm. when the Hound was a little bitch. So yeah. <laughs> when you Fuck couple all of that, all of that together, <laughs> you know, from from the very beginning of, of this book all the way through to the end, even the, even when he's lying in that bed, you know, he he protected his family way more than anybody else. Um, you, know, you can make an argument for Tywin, but I think he did the most for the Lannisters. And he's the reason why at the end of this book they're still safely in King's Landing and things are returning, you know, slowly to some kind of sense of normalcy. Yeah. And for me, that's why he gets the own of, of the book. And furthermore, what does he have to show for it? I mean, he lost his nose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's not even the worst of all the Lannisters, but you're right. He's the reason they're on top. God, this makes me just so mad thinking about it. Just Tyrion's final chapter in this book yeah. and what he was going through. And how the Lannisters have just sat him to the side because of the way he looks. It's just, I mean, I understand that that's the, the context of this story. And that's okay because, I mean, let's not talk about the treatment of women. That's just, that's a whole other topic. But <laughs> the way he, and it's just, it's just, I just don't get it. I just yeah. don't get it because, okay, he's a half man or whatever. Fine. Okay, he's got some problems with his beautific aesthetics. Fine. What is natural beauty anyway? Anyway, right? But 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 in all seriousness, like you're gonna give Cersei favor over Tyrion. Tyrion is a is a sharp dude, and he made a lot of stuff happen. And you're just gonna lock him away. You're gonna give Bronn. You're gonna, you're gonna give him a knight. You're a knight Bronn. You know, Sir Bronn. I mean, Bronn's a badass. Don't get me wrong. But uh, you know, and that's a, that's a good own, Micah, because it's it's damn right, you know, and it sucks. So at least he gets the own. You know where he looks good though, uh, Tyrion. Uh, he looks good. He looks happy. Displayed on our Facebook wall. Oh yeah, <laughs> he does. I saw you change that that one day, and I was just like, you know what? That is very fitting, sir. I mean, if you go from Robert Baratheon busting at the seams on his armor <laughs> to Tyrion drunk off his ass at his own oh, wedding. You changed Robert Baratheon. Oh, it's still oh, on our Twitter. Look. It's still on our Twitter. Too soon. That's where I saw it. It's, I was like, it's man, way past due. What do you mean it's too soon? But yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason <laughs> that I like it. The reason I did uh, transition to Facebook was uh, we did get several comments there related to people's owns of the book and. Thought we'd read a few of them. Yes, and where better to start than Jason Snodgrass? Yes. Where better? Who who agrees with me for the most part? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason says, Tyrion owning Janna Slint. Uh-huh. That is easily one of my favorite parts of the book. He wines him, dines him, and 86s him back to the wall. Yeah. Dude, Jason yes. Snodgrass. That like, in particular, Janna Slint, yeah, I remember that scene now. That it's pointed out, and and that was one of the the finest moments of and taking it was in the show too, yeah, yeah, taking advantage of someone's drunkenness to get um, complacency out of them. He's sipping a martini in his profile pic too, so you know he's cool. Like you know he's a smart dude. Look at him. Just remember that. Uh, oh, you're talking. I thought you were talking Jason about Jason Slint. No, he's uh, sipping a martini. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty badass. Uh, yeah, I would just say remember the fact that. Uh, Janos Slint is headed to the wall and um, you know he uh, had a 
pretty major role in the death of one Eddard Stark. Listen, I haven't forgotten he's going to the wall, right? I've been thinking about that every day since it happened. <laughs> All right. What's going to happen when he gets he there? He tattooed it on himself just so he wouldn't forget. I did on my wrist. Yeah. There's a backslash on his knee for a slant, slant. All right, I'll read the next one from Marla Jo Kelly, who's in a play in her profile photo. She says, uh, snack-related injuries can be epic and catastrophic, uh, referring to what we wrote, but also hilarious. Can't wait for the next ep to hear the tale. He'll quickly go team. Uh, I just realized that that wasn't a known. Uh, but that was not I, known. I read it. My bad, everybody. Marla, thank you for your comment. Anyway. Yeah, thank you, Marla. But yeah. uh, we did get another own from uh, Kurt Pop, who uh, Appears to be a very big Toronto Maple Leafs fan based on his profile pictures. <laughs> now we're analyzing our <laughs> listeners' profile pictures. Why not? Uh-huh. Uh, he says, uh, Arya gets my own for not only surviving Heron Hall, but making it her bitch. Oh, I completely agree. Nice job, Kurt Pop. And go Maple Leafs. Yes, and following that, we have James Bond, a.k.a. Andrew May, Bowtie, <laughs> Sue. Yeah, nice little tuxedo there. Love it, love it, who says, own of the book. Has to be Tyrion finding out which of a uh, various Littlefinger or Pycelle is the rat with his misinformation game. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's that was really good. good. That allowed yeah. him the tools to proceed. Yeah. Good on. Uh, him being exactly. that great tactician. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's a quote uh, from Gael Kokinos who says uh, This is a quote Street Fighter. The stone <laughs> is strong, Bran told himself. The roots of the trees go deep. We just read this recently. And under the ground, the kings of winter sit their thrones. So long as those remained, Winterfell remained. It was not dead, just broken. Like me, he thought. I'm not dead either. Bran owns a clash of kings with these final words. Excellent strategy, using Summer and Shaggy to lead his captors astray. Mastering warging all alone in the dark being totally badass with determination. Brandon Stark of Winterfell lives. 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 Another right. day. I was going to give my own to Bran, uh, like earlier today. I changed my mind, but that this was why too, so I love your own. All right, and the uh, final own comes from Leslie Dingledine, our good friend, hey. who is in a her... Well, hold on a second. So her profile <laughs> picture is with her dog, and then her... Um, Cover photo appears to be with her husband. Recently married a few months ago, right? Yes. Yeah, boys. Yes. She's married. Hands off. She was off, the one who listened to us on listeners. the wedding day. Hands off. Uh, she goes on to say, firstly, the above photo is adorbs. I feel like James Earl Jones in that commercial. <laughs> Totes <laughs> adorbs. <laughs> Secondly, own of Clash of Kings goes to Tyrion Lannister. Question mark. I don't know. Why is it a question mark? Yes, I think so. Tyrion uh, Lannister? So I should have said Tyrion Lannister. Yes, I think so. Uh, no, no one can outwit him. Heck, they couldn't even kill him. Fans love oh. him. His family hates him. He's the only Lannister doing any good at King's Landing, and his plot line is one of my most looked forward to. Fair enough. like That's it. a good summary of Tyrion. Should I leave my own here on the wall? Yeah. yeah uh, too late. Oh, it's too late. I'm sorry. We locked the thread. No All right. So uh, if you'd like to leave us uh, your owns of A Clash of Kings, you can do so by scrolling on our wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a wall that you can't scroll upon, but you can hire a bird to fly onto it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my on transition. Twitter, Will Kazorni, coolest name, um, 
Great says. profile pick. AP. Oh, all yeah. day. All day. Ultimate Owen goes to the half hand for sacrificing himself for the benefit of the watch. Yes, how one. many watchmen don't live up to their oath? And yet, this one did. Rest in peace, half hand. Jen Wyman, uh, sympathetic, uh, holding a little balloon, I think it is in that <laughs> profile picture. <laughs> It'll never end. Jen Wyman says, Owen for a Clash of Kings goes to Sansa. Hey, here you go. For surviving her engagement to Joffrey. It's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Very succinct. Here's an own of Clash of Kings from Ida Oskwolf from another country, which might as well be another world. She says, my own for Clash of Kings is Arya naming Jacken as the third name, which is just a super flippant and cheeky thing to do. Hashtag Goria or Goaria if you don't want to be cheeky. Also, she says, all right, wait, hold on. When Jamie is wondering out loud whether Brienne is a man or a woman, which is just super hilarious hashtag androgynity. Uh, I would agree. That is so funny and, and very well done in the show as well. I cackled like a hyena from The Lion King. You did? Or she did? I did from the uh, when I was, when I heard it the first time on the show. I was like, they should be in a sitcom. Anyway, or yeah. at least a Super Bowl commercial. And the Lady Ash, who sounds ominous, but really is just a ginger kitty at heart with a smiley face. Betrayal owned this book. Stannis to Renly, Theon to Rob. Ramsay to Theon, this book left us to trust no one's word. I trust Jorah. Yep. I, trust... I do trust Jorah. Mm-hmm. You do? I do. Really? I trust yeah. all of the Mormons. What do you mean, really? Stop. I'll stop trusting him. Stop saying that. No. I just I like do. messing around. <laughs> um, I trust Scott Glennon, who says, Arya, not for Jackin, but for Weasel Soup. Hashtag go Arya. Hmm. There's another go Arya hashtag. That's awesome. How about... Yonatan Alexander. How about it? He says, and, and by the way, he has a White Walker, the head chieftain of the White Walkers, as his profile uh, picture. Very Slash ominous. avatar. He says, the own for Clash of Kings, probably House Stark, taking George R. R. Martin's many punches yet still standing strong. In parentheses, last chapter illustrates this. I tend to agree. Well, you know, we do we do collect owns, but also we don't mind when you tell us what's going on in your life. Uh, here's an example of that as we transition away from our Owens of the book. You were uh, gonna say season. this one is from Fran Shizzle, who says, "My nizzle." My coworker just ran to me and asked, "Why the fuck did Theon kill Brandon Rickon?" <laughs> Where do you work? And what did he say? Uh, LOL hashtag brand new reader hashtag now hates George R. R. Martin at Game of Owns at Game of Thrones. Well, Franchisel, Manizel, we need some more Storerizel. Uh, tell us what happened next. Yeah, and keep the hip hop out of it, or Eric will do that again. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nothing like three white guys trying to uh, sound hip. Right. Eric has mentioned uh, the various forms for you to be able to contact us, um, and I just like to add though that one way you can. Uh, leave us your feedback in a different medium is by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rate and review. And there haven't been any yet for the month of February. We're uh, a couple days into the month, but would like to remind all of you out there that nothing less than five stars is acceptable in the month of February. It's the shortest month, therefore, well, nothing really. I mean, hey, now. What? Relax on February, man. My it's this is my <laughs> coveted name day month. I love this. Uh-huh. This is like I enjoy it. It's short, it's cold, there's snow on the ground. Uh there it's is good snow to be an aquarium. Looking forward to uh 
reading your reviews on iTunes a little bit later on in the week. And can we just say that it has been a fascinating ride through this book? And really, honestly, this this recording of this last episode has been a blast, I know, for me personally, because it's really good. I mean, we didn't plan any of this. It was just very fun recounting the story uh, mm-hmm. with Mike and Eric. And I really look forward to going into a storm of swords because having, having the experience and knowledge of doing these two things before, and then to end it all with a, a nice handful of your, of your book owns has really, really put the icing on this book properly for me. So I'm, I'm feel very confident moving forward guys. I really do. Yep. Now I have to put this book back in that little paper uh, box box that I have. It's going to be difficult to fit it all back in. What's a paper box? <laughs> exactly. It's a paper box. It's paper. You would think that it would be cardboard or something more sturdy, but I don't know. I've just gotten the cheapest <laughs> get it, box. Like from kindergarten had. art class, make a box, kids. Yeah, it's pretty much that. That's, it's exactly as sturdy as that and not any less sturdy. If you actually have the hardcover versions, you could probably do physical damage to another human being um, <laughs> or lift it as – see, See now I need to um, go lift actual weights instead of just uh, – you know, doing free weights with a clash of kings. Um, we know that the body the count. That's there awesome. was that great photo of the body count in all of the Game of Thrones books, but I really wonder, like, what the body count is for people having been like had a Game of Thrones book dropped on them. I think that that um, about wraps up uh, this <laughs> first episode of the week. I don't even know what day to call it at this point, but it's the first episode. I'm gluing uh, my pages shut in Clash of Kings. I will right. not reopen this book. It's all over, people. It's it's all but gone. But I will leave you uh, both with this as we head to a storm of swords at some point in the near future. Instead of just talking uh, to Samuel Tarley on this show, Eric, um, I know you like that a lot, you actually get a chance to go inside his mind as he becomes a point-of-view character. What? Perspectives Mikey, are going to change. you know how to whet the appetite. All of this stuff and more. <laughs> that's Micah. That's Zach. And that's Eric. That was better. We'll see everybody some sometime later in the week. That was the second time we did that, people. <laughs> you should have heard the first one. <laughs> they probably will. Yeah, you're right. I have my way. Yeah, after the music. Good things coming twos. Second book. <laughs> Over. Done with. Bye. That's Zach. And that's Eric. <laughs> it always ends up with <laughs> We keep balonies in our pants. We, we got to find a better way to throw that back and forth to each other. We, we just sounded so enthusiastic to say each other's names. I did. I was really into it. You did, yes. Same on name. All right, let's do it again. Name. All right, ready?